Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up, the Byline Times podcast. This time, Donald Trump and the January the 6th Senate hearings in the United States. Flashback to early 2021. Trump has lost the US presidential election the previous November, but refuses to accept the results. On the 6th of January, thousands of his supporters gather in Washington, D.C. to protest. And 2,000 of them, led by groups such as the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, end up storming the Capitol building, where Congress was busy formalising the vote that would confirm Joe Biden's victory. Trump initially resisted sending in the National Guard to quell the mob, and it was hours before order was restored. Four people died. For a brief moment anyway... U.S. democracy itself seemed to be in jeopardy. Now the events of that day are subject to an investigation by a select committee of the U.S. House of Representatives. The chair of the committee, Benny Thompson, a Democrat, has already described January the 6th as the culmination of an attempted coup, while his vice chair, Liz Cheney, a Republican, said that Trump summoned the mob, assembled the mob, and lit the flame of this attack. We'll be speaking shortly to Emmy Award-winning investigative reporter Heidi Sigmund Kuda, who has been covering proceedings for Byline Times. Before we do that, just a reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are supported by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper. We report without fear or favour and tread where the mainstream papers fear to go. Get more information on taking out a subscription at bylinetimes.com. And if you've already subscribed, thank you very much indeed. Appreciate it. Heidi, welcome. How are you doing? You're right. I'm doing great. Um, I thought this was going to be about Britney Spears, so I guess I prepared for the wrong subject. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't say things like that to me, Heidi. <laughs> I um I actually was up I I was up in the middle of the night looking at pictures from her wedding. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about this. It's very important that we continue to look at this head on, clear eyed. And when you mentioned in your intro that, um, you know, our democracy, you know, was at risk, our democracy still is at risk. We, as Benny Thompson said, our democracy continues to be in danger. And so I look forward to discussing some of that with you. Absolutely. Just take us back, though, to January the 6th, why that was and is so important. I mean, it's just, I would say, one of the darkest days in our country's history for so many reasons. One, that this insurrection wasn't about principle and it wasn't about a big lie. The folks who showed up there, many of whom had been radicalized, uh, you know, uh, over Trump, God and guns, they were pawns, in my opinion, uh, being used uh, to protect this corrupt uh, cash machine, as my former uh, retired IRS investigative uh, friend calls them. Um, And so I think that, you know, when we talk about the big lie, we're talking about corruption. When we talk about stop the steal, we're talking about corruption. We had a so-called president who was so desperate to stay in power. He did every single thing he could, along with his allies, to keep him in power. And so when I reflect back on that day, a number of things go through my head. One, that people had been radicalized and were used, uh, you know, 
too, that this is about money and is always about money, um, and that we are in we are a country in trauma still uh, as we look back and deal with this, in particular because we don't have a shared narrative over what really happened. We are in an information war, a propaganda war, as my friend Ruth Ben Giat noted in the run up to the day one hearing. Fox was doing, you know, migrant caravans again, replaying their greatest hits. But, you know, it happened. That day happened. It was, as noted on the day one hearing, orchestrated at Trump, who was at the center of it. And uh, I'm hopeful that as we continue, uh, we gain a clear-eyed shared narrative in this country. When you have Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney you know, orchestrating these hearings, we have the possibility of it. Unfortunately, we still have people in their propaganda silos. So I'm not sure they're going to be able to see what we see, but I am a little bit more hopeful. You say that this is not about the big lie. I mean, the big lie has got different meanings in the United States, depending on who you talk to, don't you? The One of the big lies or one of the meanings of the big lie is the idea that Biden won the election. That, from a Trumpist point of view, is the big lie. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, the, the, the playing field moves, the propaganda target moves. They're very nimble. There's a lot of money and coordinated talking points in all of this. You know, as, as has been noted, all of this conversation about Stop the Steal, all of this started before the election even occurred. They were beginning their pre-buttle. The numbers weren't looking great for Trump. So really, it's whatever sticks. But to be clear, in my mind, the big lie is that we had some great fraudulent election resulting in Biden inauthentically winning the election. And that's just simply not true. He won the election. He's our president. There are people in this country who believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump, and that has been something that he's been promoting and continues to promote. And I would love to know the answer to the question. I'm sure we all have theories. Why was this man so desperate to not relinquish the presidency? We do know that many autocrats, many dictators come to power to hide their corruption. I think there's plenty of evidence that we have a very uh, corrupt former quote-unquote president. And I say that because I won't acknowledge the 2016 election was not influenced by a foreign adversary's military, and I'm speaking of Russia. wasn't a hoax. Plenty of studies. Even the Republicans produced their own studies. They uh, used their military might and their uh, disinformation sophistication and their hacking abilities to uh, influence our 2016 election. I made a terrific episode of the podcast with Sarah Ferguson from ABC News in Australia, and it was about her documentary called Trump, Murdoch, Fox News, and The Big Lie. And I think you've touched on something that Sarah mentioned that I think is really important, that the ground was laid for Trump and his supporters to be able to claim after the election that it had all been stolen from them. The the narrative was put in place so that when Trump lost the election, as he unquestionably did, 
he and his supporters were able to claim, ah, look, we told you so. There were these irregularities here. There are these questions, question marks here. What what you've described as the pre-buttal. Yes, I love that word. I got that from Paul Mason, who in the report, I, I love the fact that uh, that uh, my friends in the UK are eight hours ahead of me because an event can happen in uh, America as the day one, you know, hearings occurred. And then I work throughout the night and, you know, turn the story in at 3am and then wake up and it's magically, it magically appears in print for byline. And I did that with the day one hearing and my working title for it was Trump's last stand. This is a guy who was not going to go down easily. And we all saw all the things that he did from trying to coerce uh, you know, uh, secretaries of state to finding votes that weren't there. I mean, in any other world uh, prior to Trump, this would have been absolute insanity. But because he stress tested our Constitution so much, it's not particularly abnormal that he would try to use some mafioso tactics and try to cling to power. But, uh, you know, I just want to point out that so many, and Paul Mason, again, gave me that word prebuttal, and he had some very important things to say in the article that was published in Byline the morning after this particular hearing. And one of the things that he really had to say was that we better see some federal prosecutions come out of this. And I think we're in, I think, I think I would like to think many people, I'm not the only one who's a bit more hopeful after that day one hearing than perhaps I was before that day one hearing. And that's because Oath Keepers and Proud Boys have been charged with seditious conspiracy. They made a big point, Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson made a big point in mentioning the December 18th meeting, which include people uh, like Mike Flynn, who, you know, is essentially has a relationship with these guys. So if the boots on the ground, Oath Keepers, Proud Boys are going to be charged with seditious conspiracy, then how about the people who set them up? I, I don't see any way around the Department of Justice not taking a good look at that. Um, one more thing I want to say is that uh, so many of the people that I interview are historians, and I'm sure that you've thought about this, but the Beer Hall Pooch, 1923, 100 years ago, Four police officers died. Hitler charged with treason two days later, sent to prison, you know, dictated Mein Kampf, comes back. And, you know, we know what happened from there. So I think it's very, very important that we note how fragile the situation still is. As Ann Nelson said, she's thrilled about the hearings. And she wrote the book um, Shadow Network, where she really showed a lot of the dark money that pays for this type of stuff. But she basically said, we better be looking at what the insurrectionists have been doing since January 6th. This is not one and done. This is not an isolated incident. So as thrilled as I am, I'm very aware that we are still in danger. And I'm very, very grateful to the committee for doing the work that they're doing and being so blunt they called this Trump's last stand. And by the way, I'm sure that you've noticed this. He's a guy who doesn't really get ratings anymore, right? We don't see him like we did, no matter how they show the camera angles. You know, the crowds aren't that big. 
This is a guy who's now particularly bad for ratings. So to see him be front and center of the committee work for me is uh, is interesting, uh, kind of assuring, uh, but also um, I think the people who've been radicalized to do this disgraceful work have perhaps moved on to other uh, potential avatars. So, yeah, um, but the, the idea what what Trump represents hasn't gone away. I want to go back to that meeting because this was highlighted, as you say, and it's in your report of the first day of the committee hearing. This was a meeting on the 18th of December, 2020. And I'm quoting now from your excellent piece at bylinetimes.com, which included disgraced General Mike Flynn, lawyers Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, a prominent Republican, of course, former mayor of New York, and others. And the meeting attendees, this is according to Liz Cheney, the Republican vice chair of the panel, the meeting ent- attendees, she explained, discussed a number of dramatic steps, including having the military seize voting machines and potentially rerun elections. Uh, uh, I mean, it, this is really scary and quite astonishing stuff, but people seeking to interfere at the highest level of the American government with the apparatus of an election. Yes, yes, we have to. I don't know how you don't call that treason. I don't know how you don't. I don't, I mean, seditious conspiracy at, at the very least, right? Mm-hmm. There, when, when, when plan A doesn't work, then it's plan B. And as Cheney noted, it was a sophisticated seven-part plan to overturn the election. They were doing absolutely everything. And quite frankly, I'm not the only one who's concerned that Mike Flynn's uh, brother is still in charge of uh, 90,000 troops. Uh, he's a, he was given the four-star general status the same day that Mike Flynn was pardoned. Uh, I have written about this a lot. There was pardon fraud committed by this very corrupt president. Uh, so many of the people who were involved in this seditious conspiracy, uh, people like Roger Stone, these are people who were already proved in 2016 that they would do anything uh, to uh, impact the outcome of an election. And moving forward, we had what Flynn called his digital soldiers. And it's not, uh, I think most people can see the radicalization impacts that are still infecting our country. And until we figure out what we're going to do about that, until we start getting rid of the telegrams and the foxes and the various platforms that are spewing what is essentially Russian propaganda and fifth column propaganda, you know, this will continue to be a problem. So it's funny because there's a part of me that is so hopeful because I can see the map that Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson and the other members of the committee have laid out. And I can see a lot of hope there and that there could be some high-level arrests this summer. But I also am very aware that we have uh, millions of people who've been radicalized by these same propagandists, many of whom are armed. I will say something amazing happened yesterday. Uh, The uh, arrest of the members of the Patriot Front in Idaho arrested out of their U-Haul. I don't know if you saw that video footage. No. Well, what's very, very important is that these domestic terrorists were on their way to uh, 
infiltrate and get video of them disrupting a pride event. And why this is so important is that in Idaho, not particularly a great bastion of progressive liberalism, police officers arrested them before they could get their video and terrorize Americans further. So what we didn't see yesterday is what I'm so happy about. Could it be that we're getting a bit smarter and a bit wiser on how to fight these battles? They got in front of the problem. And rather than let these assholes wave their flags and disrupt people who were celebrating the freedoms we have here in our country, they were on their knees. They were, their, you know, hoods were pulled off. We could see their faces and we uh, did not have to look at them, you know, uh, harming people psychologically, physically. And of course, these video harms affect all of us. We all see this stuff now. We used to be able to read and print, maybe get a, you know, amazing photograph. But now we see everything. And, you know, most of this world is beautiful and people love each other is one of my mantras. But we've been seeing the vulgar and it's been affecting our hearts and our heads. And so this was quite a moment for me to come right after the hearing where blunt words, they pinned it on Trump. And then you have, you know, uh, domestic terrorists not being allowed to strut and disrupt something that was beautiful for many people. Yeah. And just to go back again, perhaps for UK listeners, I mean, we've talked about this December the 18th meeting in 2020, just ahead of the January the 6th insurrection. You've mentioned Mike Flynn, former US general. And Flynn was the National Security Advisor, and he had had very dubious connections with the Russian ambassador, hence his disgrace as it were so you've you've referenced as well the the involvement of foreign powers in the 2016 election this whole sense of murk that surrounds trump and his supporters and possible russian involvement somewhere along the line oh, yeah. in his election and and indeed in his presidency yeah i mean i go back to 2015 to 2015 and 2016 when Republicans had an opportunity to uh, to really fight this extremist, gnarly fifth column within their own party. And they didn't. They just rolled. And now they're all trying to outflank each other to the right. Look at Ron DeSantis. His press secretary just had to register as a foreign agent, you know. I host a show on disinformation, an investigative show on disinformation, and me and my guys follow this stuff very, very closely. Um, you know, Mike Flynn just had to return some cash that he received from Russia. This stuff is not a mystery to those who follow it closely. My team thinks that Mike Flynn is probably the worst traitor that we've seen in America, and he follows a long line of disgruntled, uh, fired generals. Um, so again. When you look at that meeting, which my colleague Jim Stortson and one of our friends, Gal Suburban, has done a lot, a lot of uh, work in exposing, you see the people who were charged with seditious conspiracy at the event, and then you see the people who were allied with them who were present at that meeting. And I, I think, it, to me, it's very difficult not to believe that the Department of Justice 
would not be looking at this incredibly closely. And again, the players that we're talking about are people who should actually probably still be in prison in the pre-Trump world. They may have been lying to the FBI, taking money from foreign adversaries, not registering as foreign agents. You know, uh, the amazing thing about the world we live in is that some of the best work is being done by OSINT investigative researchers. And uh, as one of my colleagues says, the world is moving at the speed of the internet. Our justice, not so much. Our justice, you know, still kind of plods along at the speed of the 1800s. And somewhere, <laughs> somewhere we need that to, you know, we, we need to see some uh, some better balance because people who follow this closely have been demanding the arrest of people like Mike Flynn for some time now. Yeah. Uh, just again, perhaps an explainer for UK listeners, Heidi. And in my opening comment, I mentioned the very strong words of Benny Thompson, who's the chair of the committee, talking about an attempted coup. Yeah. The Vice Cheney saying that Trump had summoned the mob, he'd assembled the mob, he'd lit the flame of this attack. Now, if we have parliamentary select committees in the UK, they usually set out the terms of the committee hearing. Then they accept comment and opinion, as it were, from both sides or from different ranges of opinion. Then they might produce a report. Yeah. Do those, do those do those opening remarks suggest, in a sense, that you know the committee's already made up his mind? Could could Trump supporters argue? Well, look, there's no point in having this investigation. These guys have already made a decision as to to what Trump's involvement was, and and they've got closed minds on this. Yes. Well, I begged the uh, corporate media, which I'm thankfully no longer a part of, to please ignore the coordinated right-wing talking points, which were going to minimize this to a show trial and minimize it in any way they could. You know, I've lost friends because one in particular uh, who believed that January 6th was just a few bad actors and I was called a communist for believing that in the reality of what I saw. And one thing I did do right after um, the very first hearing we had where the four police officers gave testimony is I transcribed every word that they said and put a piece together because I never wanted to forget what really happened that day because I know that there would be a lot of revisionist history. But yes, those people in their silos, they're going to get the coordinated talking points that this is just a show trial. So one thing I just learned from Timothy Snyder, which I've been preaching every which way I can, is that people like Putin rule in this virtual world of propaganda. He can get in front of the TV and say, if he loses the war, he can get in front of the TV and just announce that he won the war because that's his domain is this virtual world. We live in the real world. So when somebody like Peter Navarro gets arrested and, uh, you know, charged with, uh, you know, contempt, that's the real world. That is the real world. When he gets on TV on Fox News and says, this is Stalinist Russia, this is, you know, domestic terrorism, that's the pretend world that their talking points are used in and that people like Tucker Carlson, who's a very sinister propagandist, put out to their masses. But this real world is what Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney is telling us. And when they say 
It was domestic enemies of the Constitution who stormed the Capitol and occupied the Capitol at the encouragement of the President of the United States trying to stop the transfer of power. That's the real world. And so I would like to think that the 30 million people who've been radicalized and maybe some of Trump's lingering cult might come over to the real world, and maybe they will. Maybe by the time the hearings are over, they will. But because I have not seen evidence of people leaving their silos uh, quickly, I'm not so sure. But I will say that they wanted to have a commission just like we used to. They weren't allowed to, you know, the Republicans thwarted that. It's not in their best interest. So we got this committee, but this committee is going to release a report. They interviewed more than a thousand people, uh, some of whom are some of the most incredible experts of our time on this type of fascism, Italian fascism. And some of them are the best open source investigators of our time. So I think this report is going to be incredible. And Cheney said, they're going to hold some stuff back. And what that tells me is that will be stuff that the Department of Justice already has. But the fact that Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney have been making these comments already, sort of at the start of the public hearing, yeah. are, they, are, they, are they basing that on the, the thousand odd interviews they've already done? You know, the, the yeah. work of the committee's already been ongoing prior to, the, to this. Yes. Public. Yes. Do you remember when uh, Trump found out that Mueller was going to be uh, conducting the investigation and he said that he was I, I, he, he used an expletive, which I use liberally, but not on your show. He <laughs> said he was blanked. So what Cheney and uh, Thompson were signaling was he is blanked. Yes, they know a lot. Yes. And and. Again, one of the things that I think is very, very important, there's two things uh, I want to mention. Uh, I'm sure that you uh, saw in the hearings, if you watched it, when uh, General Mark uh, Milley, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but that's how I say it. Yeah, it's how it's he, de- he described a conversation with Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows. This is from, I think, the report that I wrote. And he shared how Meadows told him, we have to kill the narrative. Well, if you ever wanted to know what kind of war we're in, this is an information war, a propaganda war. Trump ruled by propaganda. Here's his chief of staff saying we have to kill the narrative that the vice president is making all the decisions. This is an information war. And I thought that that was an incredibly, it was just a small moment in the hearing, but I thought it was a very important moment. And if you, I watched the hearing multiple times there are so many small but incredibly telling, telling moments. We have to kill the narrative. The narrative then was that the vice president, Mike Pence, was yes. making the decisions because right. presumably by this stage, Trump's presidential status were, had been undermined because he'd lost the election. But right. Trump, want, Trump wanted to give the appearance and... Uh, uh, Mark Milley wanted to give the appearance that that Trump was still in charge, and yeah, and and who knows yeah. them? You know, perhaps had the mob been called off, that could have been seen as perhaps some kind of evidence that that only Trump had the power to do this. Right, and I think that our friend, our mutual friend Paul Nyland, who I quoted in the story, 
said that, uh, you know, when it when in that day one hearing, when we heard that Trump said he deserves it in response to the mob chanting, hang Mike Pence, like, wow, Mm -hmm. did we ever hear a U.S. president backing calls for the execution of a sitting vice president? You know, I, I don't know. I know they have a lot more. And just FYI, a little birdie told me that tomorrow's hearing may be on disinformation. I already reached out to Peter Jukes and said, I'm going to be pulling an all-nighter because if that is indeed the subject, I will be, uh, like, like millions of other people, very keen on what they're, what they're saying. I mean, my, my friend and colleague, Jim Stewartson, who is um, somebody who we have, a, he's been, he's been um, gang-stalked off of Twitter, but prior to that, he warned people to stay home on January 6th. And millions of people saw that tweet. And so I'm very grateful to him because if people had not stayed home on January 6th, then the mob that showed up, uh, and he always says people do not brainwash themselves, then we would have seen some kind of bloodbath. Instead, the law and order party uh, instead went after cops. And that just shows to me how uh, radicalized many of the people were. And even when they interviewed him afterwards, you know, they just, it was like God who had been co-opted to radicalize people, guns and Trump. This is a cult. These people were uh, mind, you know, uh, mind tricked by a cult. And they're still, it's still happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure it must look very strange in the UK when you see these mass shootings and then you find out a mass shooter was in a chat room with a retired fed, you know, being groomed. This must look very strange, but, you know, I can't tell you that I don't go places and look behind me all the time. Uh, my daughter just graduated from Wellesley College, which is where Hillary Clinton went to, uh, which is where Hillary Clinton went. And at the graduation, I was, uh, you know, looking behind myself because I was afraid I've been, you know, I'm not a person who lives in fear. I find it to be a, a useless, uh, you know, uh, paralyzing quality. And yet this is where we are. Our democracy is fragile. We have a lot of, um, people that we need to bring back to their original selves not all these people are Nazis, not all of them are racist, but they've been traumatized and radicalized by videos they see online. And uh, what we saw on January 6th was, was that. Talk to me a bit about Liz Cheney and the Republican Party. She, oh is, she is a Republican and she is you know, pulling no punches in her attack on Donald Trump. So many of the senior Republicans, even those who were critical of Trump in the immediate aftermath of January the 6th, people like Mitch McConnell, who described Trump as a despicable human being, these people have melted into the snow, apart yeah, from Liz right. Cheney. Well, so I'm with Nancy McLean, who wrote Democracy in Chains, that the Republican Party, as we know it, no longer exists. So I just want to state that flatly. Mm. Um, Liz Cheney, who voted with Trump 93% of the time, more often than Mitch McConnell, is not somebody that I would agree with on policy. Um, However, Liz Cheney uh, basically 
said to her Republican colleagues that long after Donald Trump is gone, your dishonor will remain. And whatever you think of Liz Cheney, she stood up for her country in the first hearing. She said, a republic if you can keep it. So she knows how serious this is. She may also have uh, designs, you know, for a presidential run in the future. And she may know that this is the right side of history for her and for our country. So, you know, that's what I have to say about Liz Cheney. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that uh, I've learned something that's been very humbling because I've been working in local politics And I've learned that there is still a bipartisan spirit on the local level where people come together from different political backgrounds to support a candidate or candidates that they think will benefit their community. And I'm getting choked up as I talk about it. It's one of the most beautiful, humbling things I've ever seen because I'm in the world and because of my investigative training, I'm in the world that's looking at the national and global impacts of disinformation. And yes, both parties have been infiltrated, but one party in particular has been working actively against democracy. And we also learned from Nancy McLean that the Coke cadre pays for a lot of this and that they pay for three times more uh, people than the gov- than the GOP has in government, and they do this work. They, they are trying uh, sorry, to. Sorry to interrupt you there, Heidi. The which Cartwright? Sorry, we called them the Koch brothers. There's one alive oh, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, sorry, K O C H. Yeah, the Koch brothers. Yes, yeah, for yeah. decades, sorry. for yeah. decades, there's. You know, Nancy McLean's book, Democracy in Chains, is a very important book to understanding what the heck happened to America and the Republican Party. But what we have are, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis's press secretary, for example, worked at one of their uh, at one of their quote unquote nonprofits. You have these think tanks. These think tanks are putting out coordinated Uh, messaging and coordinated ways to attack our system. So something like the attack on critical race theory doesn't just bubble up from anything organic. These are actual attempts at harming our democratic systems. And you have one party in particular that has been, and Ron DeSantis, if, if nothing else, I encourage UK listeners just to watch what's been happening in Florida with their governor, Ron DeSantis, who's been trying to outflank Trump to the right. He's been kind of the poster boy of all of these systemic attacks on our democratic systems. He is somebody who is fulfilling this Coke mission of protecting capitalism from democracy, which is their mission statement. So that is why we have these don't say gay laws, and that's why we have these attacks on trans kids, and why we have this stochastic terrorism in our school boards. This is all coordinated. It's ongoing. And that is why I say we must remain vigilant. Now, there is a way to solve everything. And there is a way to protect our democracy. And it's if everybody who is not brainwashed rises up and gets the 100 million people who sit out our elections to vote and vote heartily democratic, we have very much a chance to uh, 
to save our democracy. That is one thing. And then I was going to just say, Heidi, I'll I'll come back to that in a moment. But another key text in this is Shadow Network, which is Anne Nelson's book. I'll about that for the podcast. And she references the Koch brothers, but also other right-wing billionaires in the United States, but funding these organizations, which are effectively front organizations for a very disturbing right-wing philosophy. And they don't present as being the views of these billionaires or of the Koch brothers. They present as being, I don't know, mothers for morality or whatever. But but essentially, they are to promote a right-wing, anti-libertarian agenda that advocates, I think, what certainly from a UK perspective would feel like a a very right-wing form of market capitalism. Yes. Abortion rights, for example, are questioned where LGBTQ plus rights are called into question and where we would feel perhaps that the world was turning back 50 years or more if they were enacted. And indeed, as we're seeing increasingly in the United States around abortion laws, as we are seeing being enacted enacted through legislation. That's right. And that is why it's very important. You know, Anne and I wrote an article for Byline Times a, a year ago, which I continually reference. And it is basically all the attacks, the systemic attacks on our voting systems. And In the article that I wrote the day after the day one hearing, she, and I think we mentioned this earlier, but it's very important to look and see what she wrote, which is that, you know, it's even more important to uncover what the instigators of the insurrection have been doing to prepare for their next attempt and to take measures to defend our democracy. And that is absolutely true. Now, I do have some good news. Um, And I know the Department of Justice already knows this, but... Uh, the people who showed up on January 6th did, were people who, who, who got financing from somewhere. And there was probably many somewheres, but some referred to them as a ragtag group. So where did they get their money from? Well, it has been concluded that wherever they got the financing on this massive attack on our capital uh, is money laundering. It can be investigated as uh, promoting sedition, and it can be criminally investigated for money laundering under Title 18, 1956, H in parentheses. And so I think it's very important that we look and say, okay, are some of the wealthy Republican conservative benefactors of Trump behind financing the insurrection? Could it be some of the same people who've been, you know, paying a million dollars to you know, meet with Trump at his inaugural White House candlelit dinner? Could it be some of these guys? And I say this uh, with a little kind of hint of irony, because because we we know this, you know, if if there was banks, check cashers, crowd fundraisers, third party facilitators, if there is a way to follow this money, they can be prosecuted. And again, when we talk about the big lie and the stop the steal, I just want to remind everybody, it's we're talking about corruption. And that's something I learned from Ruth Ben-Ghiat. And I hold on to these things because then it becomes less murky. We know by watching, if anybody in the UK watched what they did in America, and they had all these bogus recounts, and there was money being laundered, even as they paid for this stuff, this was a hide the corruption deal. 
And, uh, and that is not unusual when you're in the process of authoritarian takeover. What is unusual, though, is that uh, countries don't usually vote out the, the guy who's the ringleader for the authoritarian takeover. And that's what's very exciting that we did in America. We could not have the committee we have now if Trump got a second term. So everybody who went to the polls and voted, don't ever forget that your vote counts and it has impact, even though we have some squirrely things like the same number of senators in Wyoming as we have in California. We have a lot of, you know, deep structural reform we need, but we still did it. We can have a committee with Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson and others because we uh, voted an authoritarian out in the middle of authoritarian capture. You referenced earlier the foreign powers seeking to influence US politics, and I'm sure UK politics as well. People will be familiar with the way in which Facebook was manipulated by groups like Cambridge Analytica, and we send our very best wishes to Carol Cadwallader, the journalist who's written with our own Peter Jukes about Cambridge Analytica, and she faces the result of her libel action this week. We'll find out exactly. I and I don't want to get into that, but talking about the the, the kind of the, the the whole Cambridge Analytica world, Heidi, and and Russian influence, you know, and, and unquestionably Russian attempts to influence. Yeah. Do you, think, do you think it went beyond that? Is there evidence that it went beyond that and it was still and that it was still functioning around the time of January the sixth? You know, we would be very remiss to jump on the bandwagon that these things had no impacts because the impacts are ongoing. So just because people like Robert Mercer folded up shop and Cambridge Analytica went bankrupt. Come on. We have Steve Bannon, you know, platformed, you know, by Apple to spew his garbage every day. And I have friends who watch him. And of course, he was involved in Cambridge Analytica. I have friends who actually suck it up and take one for the team and watch his uh, podcast. And she says three weeks uh, later after a podcast airs and he may introduce a new character, she can completely map out the talking points from the extreme right wing uh, element in our country. And it's very coordinated. So, so yes, and yes, and yes, it doesn't go away. It was successful. These things were successful. Hillary Clinton lost by 70,000 votes. Cambridge Analytica was embedded in Texas with Trump's campaign. You know, uh, all they had to do was make sure a few, they make sure a few people didn't show up in a few states brand Hillary as a racist. So people had no taste to vote for her. And look what happened. Um, you know, we had, a we had a pandemic occur with a president that was actively working against saving lives where we could have had a woman who actually would have followed the science as other women leaders did across the world and actually saved a lot of lives. So, um, so yes, and yes, and yes. And these same characters, uh, you know, so look at Mike Flynn, for example, and some of the people he hangs out with. Every weekend, they're off doing another, you know, uh, 
Save America tour. And what they really are, are the same type of um, kind of insidious brainwashing, uh, projecting uh, that that occurred, you know, when we had uh, when we had the 2016 election. And projection is an important word because pretty much anything that you see in a video clip that Mike Flynn is saying that the Democratic Party is doing, their party is actually doing. And we know projection is a big part of propaganda. But you call it something else, maybe put a different uh, CEO in place, and it's the same thing, different day. We have no regulations protecting us uh, in a post-privacy world from being micro-targeted into uh, believing things, you know, or, or, or skewing, skewing reality. And that's why it's very important that we stay in reality. And the way I do it is I haven't had a television since 2006. I see everything I need. I read everything. Nobody can market to me. I watch all the clips. You know, I, I can stream things I need, but everything that's important in knowing what's happening in our world originates in print, I think, in greater depth. So, Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. One key part, of the day in question was the three hours that elapsed between the attack starting and Trump finally saying to his supporters to go home. There are three key hours, and I'm really keen to know what the committee is going to make of that. There's been some suggestion that he was yelling at his advisors during this period, people who were encouraging him to issue a statement before that. Yeah, yeah. It will be yeah. amazing to hear, won't it, if there's first-hand evidence. Of course, some of his closest advisors are refusing, even on pain of contempt of Congress, even on pain of arrest, they're refusing to share what they know, people like Steve Bannon. But it will be incredible to get some sense of that first-hand testimony of what happened yes. in those three hours. Yes, it will. And I think it was very interesting to see Bill Barr, the fixer, Bill Barr, who covered for the Mueller report, getting up there and saying, you know, the word bullshit, uh, you know, for some of these guys, I guess, failed treason was the bridge too far. Um, One thing I want to say in answer to your previous question, my friend Fred P. Wellman did a great thread on how we need to cover the uh, candidates who are financed by people like Peter Thiel. So when you talk about disinformation and you talk about the influence of dark money and all of that, when uh, a Peter Thiel backed candidate, you know, won his primary, Fred Wellman was like, Peter Thiel getting one step closer to the purchase of American democracy. I think we need to frame things much better Uh, moving forward. And by now, we should know how to. We should know how to frame things. We still don't. We have one party that is dynamic at messaging and always seems to be very well coordinated. And another party that still seems to be trying to play by, you know, some some norms that no longer really exist in the post-Trump era. So, um, so just Peter Thiel, again, for UK listeners who may not know Peter Thiel, he 
founded PayPal. He also runs a company called Palantir Technologies. They were, and Byline Times covered this extensively, they were seeking mm-hmm. to gain a foothold in the NHS in terms of getting access to data and so on. And I think in the short term, after challenges by groups like Open Democracy, they were they were fought back. But again, somebody who arouses deep suspicion in terms of his interest in data and and how that might be used something which can sound obscure to some people but which actually as we've seen can be a conduit to uh, potential attempts to influence elections yes and i think we would be very remiss if we did not examine these things and when i talk about deep structural reforms we need we need it to be uh evident that billionaires cannot purchase our democracy anymore. It is a big problem. And not to mention, we have many, um, we have an entire industry that's been built up around secrecy. So one of the reasons we are in this jam with all this dark money and with Russian infiltration is we've allowed it. We have lawyers and we have accountants and art dealers who uh, offer ways for people to hide their money. And that is part of the issue. And I know that London faces this as well. When you have shell companies and you don't know the beneficial owners, Mm. then you can have lots of insecurities and vulnerabilities. And one of the things we are trying to do is change that. We're trying to expose the beneficial owners. And when we do that, we will seal, seal off a tremendous vulnerability in our um, how our elections are impacted by dark money. So yes, all of this right, stuff right, is fixable. Right, of course, became common usage before the government here was belatedly forced to act against Russia and yeah. take sanctions. But even then, only after they'd invaded Ukraine. Now, yes. you mentioned Peter Navarro earlier. He was a, a, a Trump aide who has yeah. refused to take part in in this congressional panel. Likewise, Steve Bannon. So you've got two top people inside Trump's inner circle refusing to testify. Both of those have been charged with contempt of Congress. Mm-hmm. They may fail that that is a preferential charge. I mean, I'm sure they'll plead not guilty, but I'm sure in any event they'll they seem to think that's a preferential charge to just simply coming and sharing with the public yeah. what happened and what they know. Do you think we'll see more charges? Do you think we'll potentially see Trump himself arraigned? If we don't get a Trump perp walk, <laughs> you know, sometime this year, I'll be so disappointed because we've been waiting for that for a long time. One thing I do want to say, because there has been you know, unfortunately, the public square has become Twitter, which we know is also infiltrated by trolls, single purpose hate accounts, paid ops. So it's not a it's not a safe space, but it is a place that has become kind of the public square. So when Navarro, you know, uh, was arrested, but Mark Meadows was not arrested, there was all kinds of, you know, commentary on and Mark Meadows being the chief of staff for Trump. There's all kinds of just, oh, you know, Garland, uh, well, you know, I take a step back, try to interview the smartest people I can. And quite frankly, what, what that comes down to, I believe possibly, or one way, what one thing I encourage people to look out and then tell me if, if they think it's wrong, is that what the Department of Justice does not want to do is have this Supreme Court, which 
I believe, has members who are inauthentically appointed by an inauthentic president. We don't want to make bad law at the Supreme Court level. And so if the Department of Justice looks at someone like Navarro and says, we got a 90% slam dunk case against him. And if they look at the particulars of someone like Mark Meadows and say, we got a 60 to 70% case against him, they're worried about setting bad precedent. So there are certain things that we can't see, but I like to believe that that does not mean it's a hopeless situation. And again, I go back to what I said originally, if the boots on the ground, Oath Keepers and Proud Boys are being charged with seditious conspiracy, then how about the people at the December 18th meeting who, and and had been doing this type of uh, orchestrating since 2016, how about those guys? How about those guys? What charges await them? So I look forward to seeing what we're made of. Come on, Heidi, don't, come on, don't, don't sit on the fence with me now. Trump himself, though, yeah? Yeah, Trump himself. You know, the thing about Trump that's very important for people to understand who don't understand why this guy is still walking and breathing free air, he functions like a mob boss. He doesn't email, doesn't text, doesn't, you know, most things are hand-delivered to him. So that's why he can always say, oh, I didn't know. I've been investigating Trump since the 90s. He was always on the side of Ponzi schemes. He was always on the side of pyramid schemes. I know him to be corrupt with a capital C. He also allowed, you know, people to uh, launder money uh, through his, uh, through his, uh, you know, condos and uh, his properties because he didn't have to. He was one of two uh, real real estate uh, moguls who actually took, you know, uh, money from shell companies and didn't know the beneficial owners, which is why, you know, his condos turned into, you know, uh, basically Russian hostels. Uh, so, so yes, this guy, I think, I think what, if I, gosh, I don't want to be so hopeful, but I am. I think what Liz and Benny were signaling is they got him. And if they don't got him, then they got people who would have a lot to gain by turning him in. So uh, one thing that we do know is in the end, evil people eventually devour each other. So I'm hoping that some of these people will give us the mob roll up we've been begging for for six years. Heidi, it's been great to speak to you. Thank you so much for sharing your insight and your experience as well, watching the start of this congressional panel. been absolutely fascinating to read your accounts at bylinetimes.com. You can read much more from Heidi there at bylinetimes.com. And uh, we'll stay in touch with you and hopefully hear much more from you over the coming weeks as well. And Heidi, we always on uh, the Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast encourage people to take out a subscription to the Byline Times. Uh, It's a brilliant monthly newspaper, has writing by people like you in it, sometimes even by people like me. Uh, People can find out where to subscribe and how to subscribe at our website, bylinetimes.com. But Heidi, you're an independent journalist as well, and you need a little bit of backing too. So if people want to support you as well, as well as not instead of, they should look at your Twitter account. It's Heidi underscore Kuda. And you'll find how you can uh, buy Heidi a coffee as it's... uh, Yes. Do that. 
do that. I've, I've not had bad coffee in almost a year, thanks to my supporters. So I thank them very much for that. And certainly when Byline Times comes in the mail, it is the most gorgeous newspaper, reader funded. It's wrapped in biodegradable plant stuff. And so you're not contributing to uh, the fossil fuel industry, the plastics industry. When you unwrap it, it's actually something that's biodegradable, which I really appreciate. And uh, and I, I'm not going to lie, as an old journo who's been doing this type of work for decades, when I make the print edition, I'm like running around like, you know, Steve Martin in the jerk, like the new phone books here. I'm somebody now. It never gets old. <laughs> we love Steve Martin. Uh, by the by, um, uh, Heidi also, and while well, we're following this on Twitter as well, uh, Heidi runs the Radicalized Pod. Being American, she doesn't know how to spell radicalized. She spells it <laughs> That's with the true. <laughs> oh, oh! In fact, in fact, no, not even that. Because she's an American, she doesn't even know how to say the word Z. She spells it with a Z. So, <laughs> radicalized part is well worth following. Uh, we'll speak again soon, Heidi. Thank you so much, Heidi uh, Sigmund Kuda, or on Twitter, Heidi underscore Kuda. Uh, always great value. Reader reports at bylinetimes dot com or in the Byline Times newspaper. And please support fearless, independent journalism, if you can, by taking out a subscription to the Byline Times. Thanks, Heidi. I'm Adrian Goldberg. We'll see you all again very soon. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.